Well, is it go time? Yeah, let's go. Let's go. Okay. So, uh, what do you have? Anything, anything good to start the show with? All right, so follow-up. Do, do we have any follow-up? Do we have any feedback from anyone that we could follow up on? Any questions that have come in through our vast social network and our uh, vast collection of imaginary friends? Um, I had a couple of people tell me they really enjoyed it. Uh, so, and they actually like mentioned a part or two. So it made me think that perhaps it wasn't just in their imagination. Nice. Well, that's, that's, um, very encouraging that our imaginations, our imaginary friends are so thoughtful as to mention specific pieces of our, our podcast. I'm, yeah. I'm happy about yeah, that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of cool to get feedback. Uh, I mean, I realize the show's still really young, but we do have a few people listening. So that's, that's a lot of fun. That's scary. <laughs> okay. What, what in particular scares you about people listening to the podcast? That is basically something that people are supposed to listen to. Did you not put this into your equation when you first thought up this craziness? I didn't think we'd have that many in just two episodes. Well, it's not that many. That's true. It's almost nothing. I just thought it would be even more almost nothing. It'd be, you thought it would be next to nothing. I thought, thought it would be like actually nothing. <laughs> that's, that's much well, easier to deal well, with. Well, yeah, what is it now? A couple hundred tops? At most. Assuming we're, we're such noobs, we don't even know how, how to interpret the, um, the, the, the limited, limited statistics that we have. Uh, so we just are guessing. Well, the statistics aren't important, to be honest, because we, we not, we're not really shooting for that. This is just us doing what we want to do, which is, hey, getting together and talking about uh, stupid things for the most part. Yeah, so... From what I can tell, the statistics say, the analytics say, we have between six and 400 people who listen. That's a large gap. Yeah. So Six and 400, they don't, they don't make dice that big. I mean, so somewhere in there. So we have to refine our ability to type very loudly. Yeah, and, okay. uh, and uh, anyway, so we'll see. We'll see what oh, the numbers, if they, if they move, I guess that's... That's good, even if, you know, they, they moved up from 20s to the lower, lower hundreds. So. Yeah, so if it is actually 400 as a ceiling, that's great, even though it might be four per show that actually listen. So uh, that's good. Feedback. Feedback is encouraging. I like feedback. Our last show, we talked about the Dragon Con. Uh, yeah. we, we decided that episode is going to be episode nine. Did you learn anything from uh, Dragon Con episode? I did. I learned that it's. Uh, I had in my mind the uh, vision of like I don't know something like San Diego Comic Con where it's this big gigantic building and they're just you know booths and people walking everywhere and it's just one giant continuous uh, you know mile long building. That was, right. that was what I had in my mind. So um, you're saying they're part of hotels. And, uh, I also had it in my mind that it was in New Orleans. 
But the fact that it's in Atlanta also that that's changed it changed how I envision uh, that particular one. Uh, also, how ignorant I am of even the basics. Anyway, so that, I mean, I learned like where it was and what it consisted of, and and you, your description of uh, what was going on there was pretty good. Yeah, I wish we could get HDC on, and he could also give a, a second opinion, second uh, view of what, what was going on there. Uh, from what I understand, he's uh, he's wrapped up in some emergency mission in Nashville. So, you know, just do, doing some uh, some what what do you call it? Uh, ledger work. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he's writing down like. September 16th went to the parlor in his ledger yeah I, I could definitely see something like uh, like that going on and you never know anyway alright so you got some feedback from the show that's good uh, I learned a lot about Dragon Con that's also good we may have six to four hundred people um, that's a good show. Let's call it. Let's call it right there. We don't need it. We don't need any more people. We we should drive them all away. Only the uh, steadfast would remain. Can you uh, can you stop the subscription? I think, you know maybe we maybe we should start a, an imaginary email list. We send directly to our imaginary friends. I think it might work. So uh, let's talk about something cool. And not not necessarily the what's cool segment, but if you've got something for that, I'm all ears. All right, so yeah, what's cool? I like, I like iPhones. iPhones, all yeah. right. And so and then I was like, uh, well, uh, do you think mass-produced uh, consumer goods can be creative in some way? Are they just are they just slaves to the economics and the uh, the business business school? The rules that um, inevitably are operating in, in large corporations, or, or can they? There, can there be not just iPhones? But can there be an expression in any consumer product? Well, I think that Apple's entire game was because they went for visual arts. They, uh, you know, I felt like they were near death, and then they put out those uh, colored. PCs, oh, see, I said PCs. I'm okay. Yeah, they have to be IMAX. Uh, you know, I always thought PC was a misnomer for if, well, it, if it didn't include IMAX and other other uh, personal computers made by Apple. But uh, yeah, the IMAX, the, the the blue and the translucent colors. Yeah, that was very. Yeah. yeah, and I think that really, man, when they did that. It visually attracted, uh, you know, they already had the image people, right? I mean, that's, that's, I think, pre that to me, that they were always thought of as, you know, the uh, best thing. I, I really believe that that is kind of what really made them, you know, which powered them up. Uh, when they, those IMAX hit, everyone went crazy. And then they, they t- took that momentum and turned it into the iPhone, and now they just, you know, they've managed to recreate themselves as technology shifted, and in my opinion, been much better off for it. I think creativity and business. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about how how a a creative person might um, be in business. 
and, and, that, and that can be several ways. Like you might be an artist and um, you might, you know, paint, for instance, right? Do you, I mean, you, you might think that there is uh, that the, the way you're making is art and that you're not in business and you're just going to produce art and it'll be whatever it is, which is fine, right? It's a personal choice. Uh, but there's also an aspect where if you uh, if you also think of business as something completely separate than than what you're making, uh, and so I'm sorry, very small, and maybe I'll work, work, work my way up to mega billion dollar, trillion dollar companies. But if you if you think um, what I'm making and what I the business side, even if it's one person, are two separate things, but they can be complementary, then you can. Um, sort of compartmentalize your thinking sometimes and you can be artistic and then uh, later you can be business thinking and strategic and uh, you know pricing and negotiating and so forth like that and those two uh, sort of a yin yang like feeding, feeding back in on each other um, where the business part has a small nugget of creativity and uh, maybe the creativity part has a small nugget of business um, sense and they can be self-complementary and, and grow on each other, right? Um, yeah. And a larger business where you have thousands of workers and you have layers of bureaucracy and and um, you have all these objectives that aren't necessarily creativity in nature, they can, I think the same mechanism can still happen where you can still have people who can create and they can be creative and they can create art and it may serve a business purpose. Uh, it may find a business service, uh, a business purpose to serve. Maybe it's a better way to put it. Um, and I don't think just because there's a commercial wrapper around that, that it's not art, that there's not some creative, creative aspect to that. Well, they have the entire, you know, user test groups and things that, you know, sure, you're worried about the functionality, but a lot of it is about the look. I mean, think about uh, a car. I mean, how many people choose a car? You know, there's lots of factors in it. Is it four seat? Is it two seat? You know, uh, how how big of an engine? A lot of people have factors, but I would, I'm going to guess that the top two factors are the look and safety. I'm just just throwing that out there. Someone can Google it, but I think a lot of people pick based on the aesthetics. Yeah, price. Price is a big yeah, factor. Price is a big one. Aftermarket, right? You think you see aftermarket where there is no, uh, they're not, they're not, they're not making their cars look different with uh, aftermarket changes, uh, with the hopes of necessarily always selling the vehicle, right? So they're not, they're not value adding and then selling it on to other people. Uh, a lot of that is for themselves. It's an expression, right? Um, so, and it's still the the, the base of the car. It's still the same thing as when they bought it, right? The, the stock version. So, yeah. I, you know, there's definitely a, a canvas there that you can express yourself on. Uh, and I think, you know, just because there's this veil of commercialization that there are people inside a company when they are designing that car, when they are, you know, working with their clay and working with the building, putting the lines in, in, into the, the, the body of the um, the form of the car. I think that's they're being creative and they're looking for ways to express themselves. Um, and then it goes through a process and sometimes those edges get, you know, rounded off and sometimes 
you know, what, what is uh, the best creative expression is maybe it's not, you know, easy to manufacture or something. So it becomes, you know, it just disappears inside a company and you never see it or something. But I think occasionally you get some pure expression um, that comes out. And so whether it's an iPhone or uh, a, a car or a, uh, uh, just a commercial, you know, someone, you know, you see commercials, uh, the, the Hollywood idea that, you know, these creative people are producing these billion dollar uh, marketing, not marketing budget, but grossing uh, films, right? It's obviously a business and creativity and they are intertwined in complicated ways, complex ways. So I absolutely think it is possible to be creative in a business from the very smallest to the very biggest. Yeah, I think a lot of things, I think what you're saying is, is true. And I think a lot of things kind of happen by accident. Like, you know, they set out to do one thing and they're so sure that's how how things are going to be received. And then, whoops, it's this whole other thing. Uh, you know, specifically uh, speaking like on movies and things like, for instance, you know, you uh do you know that the uh, the Fast and Furious franchise is now just you know doing bonkers, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars when it was just kind of this like it was effectively, it was effectively dead, right? They had like yeah, it was effectively they just started into the we're going to do a bunch of you know barely we're going straight to video <laughs> mode, right? Right, and then they somehow you know uh, left off the page there and into a formula that worked, yep, right? Yep. But this but but that's not the only thing. Uh, think about uh this is very funny, but you know uh the recently deceased Paul Walker that he was the blonde guy in the Fast and Furious series, um the the, the co-main star so to speak. Do you know in the first film that they uh Hollywood was convinced he was the next Brad Pitt and they had him locked up for multiple movie deals and the whole works, this whole contract extravaganza. They were going to turn him into a star and Vin Diesel became a star <laughs> and they didn't have a single contract on the guy. And uh, so just through just random weirdness, you know, America and the world uh, at large, I guess, uh, latched on to um, Vin Diesel and he became the star and things were different and it went a different direction and you know going back to the reinvention you were talking about Vin Diesel actually didn't return to the franchise for one episode you know for one movie and they they just kind of wrote him off and brought in some new blood and and then uh, I think uh I think we kind of entered a period with Vin Diesel where he was trying to kind of uh, create different uh, niches for himself uh, and was kind of revisiting movies he had done like Pitch Black and and <clears throat> that sort of thing and took another shot at this with a slightly different formula and it, it worked big time. I mean, yeah, it's, my understanding and this could be completely wrong because it's based on my memory is that his his uh, his world. From which Pitch Black is sort of a, a, a small slice of it. That character is something that he has. That was something he had created years before. Uh, and I won't go into 
don't try to make up the details that I don't remember well, but look that well, up. I mean, I he mean, was he, a big. Yeah, he just tried to he tried to like he tried to bring like his game world effectively. I don't know if that's exactly what it was. His game world into reality into these movies. Yeah. Uh, like okay, because he's a big he's a big game gamer, right? So. Yeah, uh, yeah, he is a big gamer, or at least he's you know purported to be. But uh, who's that uh, Mal- Malanagelo? I can't. I'm not sure of his name. Uh, the guy that's playing Deathstroke now in the DC films. Okay. Uh, he, he's he basically appeared at the end of Justice League with Lex Luthor. Anyway, spoiler, Joe. Yeah, well, you're supposed to say spoiler before, man. You need to anticipate these things. Spoiler. Uh, but uh, Joe Maginello or whatever. Yeah. So anyway, I really had no idea how to pronounce his last name. Um, but he is a real hardcore uh, Dungeons & Dragons player. He has a devoted Dungeons & Dragons room. He was actually a guest of honor at, at Gen Con or something where he was like at, uh, you know, the Dwarven Forge system. Do you know what that is? I've heard of that. So it's it's one where they develop all the intricate dungeons and things that you can piece together in castles and cities. It's super high, high, um, high quality, quality, right? Yeah, high quality and big cost. And and he was actually there. They were uh, unveiling uh, this new forest tile system, where I mean, it's it's full. It's really cool. It's just all these interlocking trees and things. So it's just the next kind of elevation to what they're doing. They just, they keep doing these things in Kickstarter over and over again um, that are really cool. But yeah, you know, he kind of uh, made, took a shot at Vin Diesel said like, you know, he doesn't know just exactly uh, what, you know, how big a gamer he is since he's not showing up at his games in Hollywood and everyone else is. So he kind of took a jab at him or, or tried to get him to come by one of the two, whichever way you want to look at that. But I thought it was hilarious. It's funny. It's great to see that geekdom has made it to the mainstream to the point where stars aren't scared of it. Yeah, I'm, I'm uh, not sure what the definition of geeks and nerds are. But they they won. Uh, so yeah, <laughs> they pretty much won the computers. And uh, I think I've said this before, but I'll, I'll and if not, I'll spoiler. If the typical teenager, tween person was transported back to like 1985, right? Uh, but somehow he could he could like get on his computer, flash his phone, and check his websites. Like you know, get on get on the BBSs. Uh, you know, the it would be he would be the biggest nerd ever. But it's basically, um, uh, I guess Facebook is a bad example now because it's sort of passe. But the um, Instagram or Snapchat or whatever it is or, or whatever the, the newest one is that I'm ignorant of. Uh, if they if they could hop on those those kids that were I don't, I don't know what I'm trying to say. I guess I'm trying to say that the the, the typical teenager now, the typical tween, is uh, a pure pure core uh, nerd or a geek, depending on how you look at it. If you base it on the amount of time they spend on computers and uh, looking at screens and and typing into the, uh, computers. Yeah, you know, I'm wondering if we could go back in time. If, if you know, if, like, if you go back in time and you lived our life, then you know 
we were in these little groups in the corner and you know it was easy to pick on us and everything and so it'd be kind of neat to be young again right now and be in high school just to see because i would bet you've got some some like nerd versus geek versus uh you know uh whatever other term you want to come up for uh action right you have little nerd cliques it's different gangs of nerds now that's how i would imagine things are you know where you just have uh the smallest nuances now is now has you categorized it's like i don't hang out with those geeks you know because they don't maybe meet the certain criteria uh really if you think about like think about like the the goth movement or uh you know alt radio stuff where the, you almost have like this thing you had to you you had to like this thing to be in that crowd right so I can kind of see that as how it is probably right now where you're like, hey, I'm a superhero geek. And you're like, I'm a Lord of the Rings geek. Get out of here. I can, I know that my, my kids are not, they're not even in sixth grade yet, right? They are into computer games and getting on with their friends at school, right? It's not so much the social networking, which again, they're, they're young, they're restricted from that, but the, uh, how they, how they divide up um, in the in the in natural the way, um, it's not really. I wouldn't say exclusionary. It's just that you know, if if you have a game that is inherently social, uh, you know, whether it's online, you're going to get on and do like a Minecraft world, right? Uh, that uh, it is automatically. Uh, self-selecting, like if you don't really like Minecraft, if you're or if you do like Minecraft, maybe you're not really, you, maybe you're not otherwise compatible. But if you like both find Minecraft, you have something in common, then you can get on and and enjoy that with each other. And it is sort of sort of transactional or rather transition uh, transitory is a better word to put it because they don't necessarily. Uh, hang out sometimes if other circumstances show up uh, but if they if they don't show up that then it's just like this is a person I play Minecraft with and that's both fine and also uh, not weird because it is uh, just something that that's that's something we we do it was like uh, uh, when I was young I played baseball with people and we, we had a team and we played baseball and then when we saw each other or we may say, Hey, but we didn't really hang out otherwise. Right. So it's, I think, uh, that, that slicing up, uh, and ability to have very, very small slices of compatibility or our shared interest is, is kind of the normal. And it is, it is, I think what's different these days is there are many, many, many more slices. And so you have smaller slices of time uh, and you switch between them, whether you're playing Roblox or Minecraft or you get on Fortnite or you uh, talk about the latest YouTube video or whatever it is. Um, you know, you have, you have shared television show, basically some YouTube channel you watch. Uh, it, it is something one person talks to another about that and, and that's sufficient. And, and then they can they can move on and talk to another subset of people that they are in, around. Yeah, the uh, the different cliques definitely. Uh, I think it also it's not just in the schools now; it extends to the web, right? Just think about how many friends you have 
Well, you might not because I don't think you're a terribly big social user. But do, do you have groups that you kind of are like really part of? I have, I have moved away. Like, um, so in the past, uh, website forums, I mean, obviously a lot of that has been hollowed out and sort of decayed away because of the uh, rise of the mega social networks like Facebook or Instagram or, or, yeah. or whatever. But, you know, the, the, the larger collections previous to that and definitely had places that I would go and I um, would hang out. Now, you know, he go all the way back to massively multiplayer online role-playing games, right, where you had your guild and you had your people. When you logged on to there in, you know, 2002, there was a limited amount of communication outside, uh, both technologically limited and also kind of like you didn't you didn't want to you didn't want these people all across the world or the country or whatever you didn't necessarily want to interact with them uh automatically like you know maybe you come to that as a conclusion and then often it happened uh you know and, and to high degrees i'm not saying that didn't happen but it wasn't like uh you just hop on and then uh, the next day you've got a friend invite to some uh, social network right so um the, the, yes, I had groups, and they definitely were in, in existence. Uh, I, I don't do the Facebook these days almost at all. Um, so to, to make maybe some detriment, but I think it has some it has some maturing to do uh, before I can get back on there. I just it just has some some incompatibilities with where I, I want to be in my life. Yeah. Uh, there's just like I said, there's a there's a lot to what you know what's going on. You've got. We, I was actually just talking about forums today because we had to set one up for a company, and I was like, wow, you know, forums used to be like where it was at. Get your 56k modem and hit you know uh, whatever forum you were into, and now it's just kind of uh, faded off. You know. Hey, I think we might have a visitor. Hey. Whoa. What's hey. going on? We're sitting around. We've uh, talked about some amazing things. Total chaos. I was uh, I was trying to herd my cat out of a corner in the basement. He, he was staring into the corner in the basement, and I could not get him out of the corner. Uh, apparently, there was a spider, and my wife was afraid of it, so she showed the cat the spider, thinking that he would you know, shoot the spider away, and she wouldn't have to deal with it. And he did. He effectively shooed the spider into the corner, and then the spider disappeared into the corner somewhere or whatever. And the cat stared into the corner. I don't know. <laughs> He's forever on watch. And I couldn't get him to come away from there. Yeah, if we were down there for 20 minutes. Every time I'd get him away, he'd run right back to it and just sit there. It was it was a little creepy. If you just walk down there without context, you know. Your, your cat's creepy, dude. That's the creepiest creepiest cat ever, but he's cool. He's, that was, that's totally a chaotic sort of situation, too. You got a spider. He's got eight legs. That's like, the, you know, eight points of chaos. And then you've got this cat who also has been known to get jacked up on um, certain uh, what was that he got what was that he got stoned on that time it's, it's not stoned it, but it was Adderall I mean it, he was uh, yeah he um, my son is, is ADHD so he takes Adderall some you know before school um, and uh, this morning he uh, did not take it he just left it sitting there so the cat ate it 
And anyway, uh, I, I did I did the calculations, uh, and I don't remember. You know, I'm not a chemist or anything, and and obviously their their you know physiologies are not like ours or whatever. But uh, according you know according to what I was doing, he was just a few milligrams off from you know not being able to survive it. And he took like a 25 milligram one or whatever, but he it was messed up for about 48 hours, uh, and I don't think he's been right since. Not quite right, and he wasn't right before it either. He's chill now. Well, he is. Uh, I think we may have mentioned him before because uh, he's he's an anomaly. Like he can get up like a human and just kind of stand, and he can open doors uh, with his hands. It's really. Oh, hell no. Did I just lose? Oh, it wasn't me. You killed it, man. It's all your fault. Uh, his internet. That's what we were talking about before was his internet. His internet went out. We were talking like 10 minutes and his internet went out. Did your internet go out again or are you going to rage about it? Am I back? Yeah. You're back, man. Sweet! She fixed the internet quick that time. <laughs> it's like the, uh, that's the, um, that's the South Park version of fixing the internet when you just uh, <laughs> reboot, the the, reboot the Linksys router. You have to go fix the cable. Uh, I think I think we're our podcast is under attack, man. I do. I'm starting to get paranoid about it. I'm glad I'm glad you came back because uh, because Daniel was about to have another piece of anecdotal evidence that I'm actually a podcast killer. Yeah, it, it, it was it was right there, man. It's just a slight tremors. It's a, it's the you've got the butterfly effect just hovering around you, man. He still has editing software, so I guess you know I'll, I still don't know for sure what's going to make the final cut, but we'll see. I bet this one will. What? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we talked about well, we actually talked about it earlier. Maybe you have some input, and I'll edit it in. Is the uh, we talked about creativity um, and business, right? Can, can mass? Wait, wait, wait a minute! 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 I've got to interrupt this podcast because yes, we talked about that, but the theme was chaos, and I I've given you guys a lot of cues, and if you don't get on it, then you you're going to have ruined my 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 entire art segment. Because I based it on chaos. Okay, so what should we do that would make you happy in a chaotic way? What, what are you? You're already for? doing it, man. You're already doing it. You're just doing whatever. <laughs> I mean, whatever. So I don't know. I thought that uh, we would just kind of uh, uh, talk about some cool thematic stuff. Uh, you know what's. Uh, what what kind of uh, nerdy things do you guys know about chaos? Uh, so, I, all right. So I don't know anything about chaos, but I'm going to talk anyway because say hey, at least six to four hundred people will be uh, probably uh, offended by my ignorance. I would say <laughs> chaos is a complex system whose output is unpredictable. Interesting. And it's probably very malleable and easy to affect, right? Yeah, so yeah, small small changes. 
large, large differences in outcomes. You know, they, I guess in my mind, it's sort of like encryption, right? Or, or hashing or something where you have this really complex, convoluted um, randomization process, pseudo randomization process where you, it's indistinguishable that, you know, you, you make a very small change to the input, you get a very large change in the output. Uh, and so it is sensitive to small changes. Uh, so a chaotic system would be sensitive to small changes and how it behaves. Yeah, so that's like the butterfly effect, right? You have the little flutter of the wings, blows the... I would say the butterfly effect is sort of in, a, in effect uh, happening when uh, when a, chaos, a system is chaotic. So it's sort of, it, it is an attribute of a chaotic system would, would be something that is susceptible to uh, the butterfly effect. You know, something, a very small change on, on Earth can come, can have very large outcomes somewhere else. The, um, you know, what, what is it in contrast to? Maybe a resilient system where, uh, due to feedback mechanisms or something, where, uh, like an airplane that's in, it's in flight or something, uh, you know, it, it pitches up, the, the wing pitches up due to the, the forces at play of it passing through the air tends to, Cause the airplane to re level or uh, you know to to uh, go back from going a pitch up to you remember to that level. Uh, you remember that remember that D and D game that we played where Daniel played that character who just went on and on and on and and, <laughs> and you played that NPC who had this character trait that just allowed him to feed into the other person and therefore enter into a never ending cycle. Yeah. I, I, for, I I've just had a a, a Deja vu to that moment because I have I zoned out. At Damn least man, you know, all you gotta do is, is interrupt me and start talking. Not to be well, insulting. I, was, I had I had I had <laughs> something really, really long to say. No, no, I, I really I really had something I wanted to say and it was deep. And then I thought about it for a minute and I was like, if I do, I'm going to completely derail the entire topic of the conversation. So I just held on for a minute and you just kept on going. And then and then I forgot what I was going <laughs> to say in the first place, to be quite honest with you, because. OK, well, this is funny because let's talk about it. All right. It's order versus chaos. Right. So. When I sit down to plan an adventure, I create NPCs. And my way of kind of thinking about it is I think about traits they might have. So what you're talking about is there was this one particular NPC. If I remember correctly, he was like a mayor or something. And uh, his one huh? – I don't remember it, but something. Yeah. Yeah. And his one big trait was he was a good listener. Yep. <laughs> That's right. That's what it That's was. That's right. And so that was my design. I designed it like that. I had no way of knowing that that Daniel would create this character who would never stop until stopped. So yeah, that was that was very funny. But it's an example of a an ordered system running into you know just kind of the variables of of what gets fed into it. And, and how think about like you know when you're programming or whatever how, you know all all of us do that kind of for a living that uh just think about how that input is always there's always something unexpected you, you, you're almost guaranteed that you won't have looked at everything the right way and then some weird stuff happened i mean i think this is how you get ultron yeah exactly that's how you get ultron the direct consequence of that Skynet and Ultron is exactly that. Right? That's, well, yep, when they came around, that was the, that was what caused them. 
So there wasn't any direct hacking or, or purposeful creation of this mindset where that would that would logically quickly decide that the problem with this planet was humans, which is exactly what the problem with this planet is. <laughs> well, George, George Carlin, uh, the planet's going to be fine. Just uh, <laughs> we, we have we have the problems. So I remembered what my original question was going to be actually now. What? And I, and I don't know. I might use the incorrect definitions or terms here because philosophy is really not – I like it. You know, I'm interested in it, but it's not something I'm learned in. So if I, if anybody uh, – if I use anything wrong, I'll just apologize in advance. But anyway, it is determinism Spoiler. versus non-determinism, right? So determinism is like, you, you know, everything is kind of determined in advance and you can't really change anything anyway. Is that, is that correct? Is that what I'm talking about? Uh, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. Do I have to repeat that? Godzilla kind of kind of messed that up for me, man. Determinism <laughs> is is like if you have it's uh, you have the same input, you're going to get the same output. So non-determinist system would be okay. What's the, uh, what is the what is the philosophical position then that? Oh, free will. The free will, uh, where you know we're not actually able to make choices. That uh, everything oh, yeah. is predetermined. What, what is that? It's, it's yeah, it's not determinism. Yeah, it's, that's yeah. what I'm saying. Is it yeah. philosophical determinism? I don't know. I don't know what the word is, but that's what I'm thinking of. Okay. So, so if you're thinking about you know what you were saying about a minute ago, you change the inputs, you get big outputs. Well, what hap- What if you can't change the inputs? What if the inputs are what they're going to be? Because that's just how it is. Yeah. That's yeah. kind of getting back to that we're in a matrix thing, right? Sort of. If we're all, you know, if it's possible that we would be in, you know. Matrix or maybe just the universe is what the universe is going to be. There's And there's just no other way that it could be. Yeah. So I, historically, before before there was like Einstein and quantum or whatever, you know, people just thought it was um, – a state machine. Basically, you know, we were we were pre, predetermined because there were a limited number of rules to the universe, and they all were very well defined. And so, then they had a a certain input, which is the past, and therefore the future was definitely going to be some some it, it fairly complex, but uh, you know, predictable. And, and that was sort of uh, physics meeting philosophy, right? That was was just like the Hoyle, the Fred Hoyle steady state, um, you know, theory framework. Is that what you're talking about? Uh, Steady state usually has to do with like uh, I think like the Big Bang, uh, you know, an explosion, but there's not so much mass in the galaxy in the universe rather that it comes to an end, expansion stops, and then it reverses and it goes back and crunches again and then explodes again. So that's you know, or steady state is like there's just enough. So expansion stops, and there is no contraction. It's just just enough to stop expanding. Uh, I've actually never heard the the thing you were speaking of a minute ago. Where you, I thought I thought you were being kind of metaphorical when you said state machine, but you're being literal. So people actually thought of it as a state machine. I don't know. That's how I think of it. No. So, but, okay. Yeah, so you know, you have certain inputs and certain rules, and the limited. There's no there's no randomness. There's no uh, variability of what you know, might happen uh, other than your ignorance of the rules and the inputs. But it turns out there's chaotic and chaos and, you know, you can know something but not know another thing and that, like, the physical reality is that that, that is a, the nature of our nature of the, of the world as we, as we know it. And so it, the, the predictability of certain things is limited. Yeah, I... I... 
I don't think I'm not saying that I subscribe to the whole we don't have free will thing to make choices. I mean, but, you know, I'm just saying, what if, you know, I don't know. Well, well, I don't know about you, but I'm I don't know about you guys, but I'm married. I definitely don't have free will. Mm. That's I'm not going anywhere near it. Well, I'm just saying. I'm married too, but you know, there's a box. Apparently, apparently, there's a there's a point at which you learn not to say shit like that. You ain't crossed it yet, so. <laughs> no, I guess I have plenty of free will when it, when it comes to that, but just, <laughs> uh, I could get crazier. It could happen. Could happen. Uh, so speaking of chaos, how about uh? Blood and souls for my Lord Ariok. Huh? That's, that's, huh? An that's an excellent quote. Um, is, is anyone or any any being ever created in fantasy more representative of the chaos than than he who worships the chaos lords? Yeah. You know, one of the one of the first things that comes to mind anytime you talk about chaos is the and 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 it's been many years, and I'm not going to remember the correct book. But there was the scene in the book, and again, and I may get the scene completely wrong, but anyway, uh, the set the scene up in the book. He's he's standing there with his sword and with his friend, and he determines that some what's missing from the ritual or something like that is blood. So he just looks over at his buddy standing there and just you know rams his sword into him. And that, yeah, you know. I think that was uh, I think it was in the second book because I think that's when uh, so he's traveling down some river with this ship captain and everything and and you know they fought monsters and everyone's bonded and then he gets to this this statue of Ariok and uh, I think uh, he expected some kind of communion and when he got nothing he he discovered hmm, he kind of thought to himself and realized he kind of needed a blood sacrifice and this guy who had just been you know sweat blood and tears with him just turned around and just slit his throat and yeah I mean Let's talk about Elric. He is the original anti-hero created in response to Conan. Crom. The Barbarian. uh, Michael Moorcock. So I've always been fascinated with Elric because, you know, here he is, this tall, thin, almost elf-like albino who needs drugs just to stand rules from you know jade, he's jaded rules from a throne that he, he doesn't want uh, his cousin Yerkun wants the throne and he could just care less he pretty much does everything he can to to just lose everything anyway uh, I think uh, when I think Elric I think you know heavy metal music uh, all things I was into in the days there and and uh, it's definitely kind of a focus for me when I think uh, of chaos. So he's basically um, a nihilist. Yeah. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. It's well, you know, actually. So the the premise is that he's the young, you know, Melnibonet is this just dreaming city, and he sits on this ruby throne, and they're a crumbling society that once ruled everywhere. Kind of think, I'm thinking the influence here is, uh, you know, United Kingdom. Um, and so 
but they've become so closed off and the young kingdoms as they call it where all these you know humans have risen and they're starting to grow brave and they they want to attack this island and and they've tried many times before but you know it's actually kind of getting to that time it's the end of that and and elric goes forth after crushing an, an attack a very a very large attack by the young kingdoms he goes forth into the world uh to uh maybe reestablish some of those lines or discover if he even wants to so it's a very interesting story uh it's also widely known as the stormbringer series uh there have been lots of lots of copies so like in the movies what immediately comes to mind is uh i believe frank frazetta was intrigued with the character and in the movie fire and ice one of the main the main villain in that was very elric like which with Frazetta working as the backboard on all this, I thought that was very interesting because he's so known for his Conan art. And I thought it was neat to kind of see maybe this was what how Frazetta would have done Elric. I don't know that, that Frazetta ever did do an Elric piece. I, don't, I can't think of one off the top of my head. But uh, anyway, very, very interesting stuff. Uh, I think the character is neat. It has one of the best endings, in, which I won't spoil for you, but it does have one of the coolest endings ever. Uh, truly a rock god kind of ending and uh, I like to think of I think Elric I kind of think of that sort of thing he's definitely an embodiment of fictional chaos for me and uh, probably has a lot to do with things like uh, the alignment systems in Dungeons and Dragons uh, as well because it really that whole series is exploring multiple dimensions multiple realities the effects of entropy and order and all that that's what it's about so it's really cool stuff uh I'll quickly segue. I made a small segment for my phantasmal.com uh, well, art segment. Before you do that too quick. Sure. <clears throat> uh, you know, there's I, I could think of uh, so we 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 went through we went through Elric. We talked about characters that embody chaos there and we kind of had segued away from a another RPG instance that we had run into before and and, and as you were talking about uh, about some of the characteristics there it, it occurred to me that there's a, a, another one of our uh, uh, PC characters from an old gaming session that also embodies chaos. And I think that would be Balfour. He he, he greatly <laughs> embodied chaos uh, in a microcosm, and uh, and that was a lot of fun. So chaos can be a lot of fun, folks. That's that's the that's the uh, the uh, yeah. So Balfour was a pretty funny character, and we if if you must know, we have quite a history with chaos because Balfour was made when you were what like nine or mm, ten, maybe a little older than that. I think probably. Maybe probably six. closer to high school than that. I don't know. Not, no, not, it, not, it not. definitely it definitely was in those maybe twelve tops. I think twelve. I think you're right. I think it was around twelve. But uh, the idea behind Balfour was that he's kind of like a precursor to Lobo. If he had you know from DC Comics Lobo, where he just we he just had this kind of view on the world where. Uh, he looked at things in a rather simple manner and it made it inherently funny. Like for this one time, uh, he decided, he figured out how to, to break into this superhero, uh, 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 headquarters, but because he was super strong, he was able to just go up and punch the force field and knock it down. Right. So he decided this was useful information and decided he would sell it to the power brokers. <laughs> 
and they they hit all sorts of uh, back and forth kind of communications about the value and the price. And finally, when they exchanged the information, then of course none of them were strong enough to knock it down. So that was an extra fee if they wanted Balfour to do it. Uh, now my favorite though was it the satellite. That's the that's the best one. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember all that, but that I do remember that involved another group of players playing, and you kind of guest starring him in or something like that. Oh, there was something about there was, uh, yeah, I, 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 you know, we lived in different towns there for a few years, and I would come in on some weekends or whatever, and you had this long running campaign going with these, and it was culminating to this thing where they were going to stop the arch villain up in orbit in a satellite in a floating platform that he was going to use to destroy the planet or something like that you know and i I don't know and then i happened to be in town that weekend and so we decided to drop balfour into the game and 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 you know as usual you just pretty much let me just kind of just just insert yourself when you get ready you know just whenever you think the time is appropriate you can make an entrance and that's 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 what balfour did so they get there to the satellite and they're about to you know, foil this evil mastermind's plans for destroying the planet. And right as they, you know, break in, you know, break the side of the satellite open and are about to apprehend the villain, Balfour appears and sees these dastardly pack of fiends attacking this innocent scientist, you know, (laughs) and, uh, and, and Calvin didn't mention earlier, not only was he super strong, but he was like, think the tick. He was nine vulnerable. Yes, he was. Nine. And, uh, that, and, and, and not he was big, smart. strong, and dumb. <laughs> yeah. And it was a lot of fun. A lot of fun. Well, what about, what about the Ultima Online days? What about the Chaos Lords? Yes. Yes, that was that was also quite a lot of fun. Uh, I was actually earlier. I, was, I don't remember what it was. We were, it was at some point when Daniel was going on about something, and I got lost. I was thinking about the Chaos Lords <laughs> and the feast that we threw for the orcs outside the fort there. Uh, so let, let, let me just set this straight. So we had this group. They're called the Chaos Lords, and there was this well-known group. I probably a lot of you people out there would remember them, which were the orcs. And the orcs always set up. As these orc forts in the game and they role played being orcs and the chaos lords decided one day that well any self-respecting orc needs an evil overlord so we decided we'd go subjugate them and talk them into being our minions because it was made perfect logical sense it made sense to me so we sent our ambassador, uh, Shroud, Lord of Deceit, to uh, <laughs> you know. And if you played you, oh, you know, your name is like above your character at all times. And people would put their titles, you know, their guild titles and stuff, in, in like parentheses on the next line and stuff. So his name, as he walks up to you, is literally <laughs> popping up on the screen. Is Shroud, Lord of Deceit? Hi, I'm here to negotiate with you on behalf. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. <laughs> He's the ambassador, right? You know, so uh, so the Chaos Lords were a heap loads of fun. We ended up getting slaughtered by the orcs after an intense negotiation. Uh, <laughs> because, yeah. uh, well, they, we, were not, we were not terribly powerful. <laughs> you know, we, we had a lot of fun. There's more we were, Chaos Lords. We were ambitious, we were ambitious uh, evil overlords, not, uh, yeah. not necessarily yeah. successful ones, though. <laughs> it was it was a lot of fun though. Uh, I remember the very first website I ever created was for the Chaos Lords, and it involved me finding this GIF of a flaming dungeon gate, and it was playing the Jaws music. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, 
A lot of fun. Yeah, that, that was around the same time. Anyway, go ahead. Okay. Uh, yeah, well, quickly, I just wanted to run through. I don't have a whole lot uh, for Phantasmal this week, but I was going to tie it into the Chaos theme, so I decided I would talk about Elric paintings. Okay? So, um, I made a quick list of some of the most memorable Elric artists, if you want to check some of this out. Uh, it's really hard to pick the top couple. I think the most prolific or the most noted was probably Michael Whalen's covers. Uh, he did all, he did the covers for, a, you know, the, the entire set. Um, you know, Sailor on the Seas of Fate, Weird and White Wolf, Vanishing Tower, and all the way Stormbringer. He did one for each. And they're quite, they're classic covers. I think uh, my favorite is Sailors on the Sea of Fate. It's a, uh, it's really cool piece. Um, I don't have any idea what it'd be worth. Uh, well, actually, I, I kind of do because I at least know what someone's asked for one before. Because a couple years ago, I believe uh, uh, Patrick Wilshire actually what's, what's the title again? Sailor on the Seas of Fate. Uh, so Patrick, I believe Patrick Wilshire, who's a big collector, he uh, he, you know, runs uh, Lexicon, all that. He's got a huge collection. He owns the the Weird of the White Wolf cover, and I remember seeing that a couple of years ago that he was entertaining offers at about seventy five thousand dollars. Now you think, yeah, that's a lot for a painting, but I'll, you know, and it is. But if you're really thinking of like investment levels. I think Elric's one of these characters that is just waiting to pop back into pop culture. All right, so, so I, I've done a quick search, and there is uh, Michael Moorcock, The Sailor on the Seas of Faith, the new yeah, Elric Eric novel. And there's and, and there is the image, the, the title, the, the cover you're talking about? Yeah, so I'm talking about the cover art. All right, and um, so the, what I see is... Um, a, a, a person with a, um, you know, he's got clothing on, uh, some kind of um, leather, whatever. He's a very fancy uh, boat, or I think I assume yeah. a boat there, yes, right? That is the, yeah, that's the Michael Whalen piece. Right, and in the front, we see the, the, the brow, prow rather, uh, with some kind of dragon on it and a lamp. And then in, in the, in the, behind him, who I assume is Elric, right? He's got some kind of sword in his hand behind him, uh, fading into the uh, into to the uh, fog. Are various characters with in flags and weapons and stuff. Yeah, yeah. and uh, you can Google. There's obviously a ton of people who have done covers for the series. Um, so you know, getting a particular one picked out is going to be kind of hard, but. If you do say I was going to see a fate by Michael Whalen, that's W-H-E-L-A-N, you'll be able to see the cover I'm talking about. That's my favorite out of that series, but they're all really cool. Um, and my, my point that I was making, though, is that if you're looking for an investment, and a lot of people, that they collect art for that reason. I, I, I would love to have a piece that got worth to be a lot, but it's, it's just, you know, it's kind of a crapshoot for that, right? But... I've been thinking for a while that Elric himself is ready to spill over to pop culture. Uh, we were talking about the Fire and Ice movie, but he there was also a Elric ripoff in Hellboy 2. Uh, the main guy there was just straight up 
Yeah, sure was. Straight up Elric. Yeah. And and I, I, I bel- there were some talks of the movie getting licensed. And matter of fact, I think it's still licensed. They just haven't done anything with it. And and with the the, the Mark Fantasy's been making uh, in the movies, uh, I think it could happen. And let's just say that this is a probably a really good uh, investment because Michael Whalen's a top artist and the you know this is these paintings are all uh unique and so if you're looking at you know what some of the major fantasy paintings are going for i think it's going to increase 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 yeah so it says michael whalen uh, on his website his gallery sailor yeah. on the seas of fate it says uh he's done seven full color paintings many black and white illustrations and drawings of michael morcox and a hero elric uh this painting is his favorite uh, that's it's my favorite too, and uh, you know he's done a lot. Like I know he did, uh, I know he did the covers, or at least at least the last cover for uh, uh, the Wheel of Time. You know, uh, oh, really? the one, yeah. And uh, he's very he's a very prominent artist. Uh, another one that's much more distinct and very soft is Robert Gould. If you Google Robert G O U L D, um, you will see a very soft uh, pattern. This white pattern, beautiful covers, and that's it's always flip flop. Do I like the way that's better or the golds? Past that, Brahm does several brilliant standalone portraits. Uh, you can't go wrong with a Brahm Elric. He's got a he has a. Uh, ship mask kind of Elric as well that's pretty cool um, one of the most iconic artists for Elric in my opinion however is Frank Brunner he did a lot a lot of Elric covers and his style his style is very similar to Rodney Matthews uh, and Rodney Matthews is kind of known for his rock albums okay and Bruner, his real sharp style, uh, he's done, uh, I direct you to look at Elric in the Forest of Trues or the Death of Simoril, that's C-Y-M-O-R-I-L. Uh, he's done game book covers like the Star Reach's Greatest Hits, which was an Elric cover painting. It sold on Heritage Auctions for about 6 k uh, a year, two years ago or so, if memory serves me correctly. Um, Chris Achilles, who did the heavy metal cover, did one of the first Elric paintings that I can remember, and it was pretty good. I don't think he did a lot of work, but I just remember it has a very contrasting, pale, almost tan background with Elric in the front and in his black and his blacks and his white skin. It's a very cool, contrasty image. I would look at that. Uh, and then there's some uh, some other stuff. There's a there's a guy that's on Facebook, and I don't you know I apologize. He may have more work than I'm aware of, but his name's Justin David Russell. He runs this Epic Works Studios. But I he really caught my eye with a, a very colorful piece that he did not long ago. Uh, it's probably still for sale, and if I had the money, I'd get it. But I currently have just recovering from Dragon Con and other things, so. Not gonna happen, but it's it's really cool. It features kind of a flaming Stormbringer idea uh, with a fighting something like Chaos Demon that's coming up at him. It's pretty cool. If you like color, I'd also say look at Richard Hescox. He's recently done a series of Elric paintings for Centipede Press. Can't go wrong there. Uh, 
Uh, I've seen good one-offs by Vulcan Baga, Matthew Stewart, uh, and, and a very good series of more black and white pencil versions by John Picasso. So that's what I do. Uh, I, would, I would look at that stuff, and that's what I've got for the Phantasmal segment. Uh, also, one quick shout-out to the Changing Artist Collective uh, that's launched their Kickstarter for Old Fae, which is a, a variation on the Old Maid game, and they've had about 30 artists that have each contributed a good fae and an evil fae. So you got a good fairy, an evil fairy. Uh, the founder of uh, Change the Artist Collective is Rachel Quinlan, and she did a baby munching on butterflies. If that'll give you an idea of the kind of stuff you can get in here, it's really creative and cool. One of my favorite artists in there, uh, up-and-coming artists, I've talked about her before, Eva Nakunin. Uh, Nakunin, uh, I never get her name right, I, I, but that's it. Uh, as well as a few others that really that I like a lot, Iris Compete, Emily Hare, uh, Jessica Levi, Ashley Lovett, and Amanda Bake Peace, uh, a lot of artists I know. And, and I checked today at around 5, and I don't know what it's at right now, but the Kickstarter was at 69% funded and had pledged uh, $4,008 of the $6,500. So it looks like they're going to fund in like a day. Um, but it's still fun. You can get a deck for a deck and a pin for like $22 or just a deck or two decks. They've got a lot of deals there. And uh, if you like to play Old Maid, uh, you can have a kind of entertaining version. That's pretty much what I've got for Phantasmal.com. Uh, you can check it out. That'll take you to our Facebook page where we regularly just find traditional artworks of art for you to we, take a look you, at. You mean you. Because like we're saying, but uh, I no no not true. Not I meant we as in the community. There are okay. lots of people that post into it, just not you guys. You you two are the the art losers. It's true. So, I've lost one art. You've lost. So I was going to uh, uh, say earlier, but I. I didn't because well I'll explain I was why talking, I didn't say it earlier. I was talking right. That's the reason. No, no, actually, no, not this time. It's not your fault. This time, it's my fault. Uh, I, I want to apologize first off for ruining your excellent segue that you had set up. Uh, I, <laughs> so I, I, that's why I kept my mouth shut and did not speak during your uh, presentations because I was I knew that I would interrupt it again. Uh, but uh, I wanted to uh, also say that uh, while you were talking about your favorite uh, Elrics and whatnot, the the Sailor on the Seas of Fate is the one that always comes to mind first for me. You know, just personally, when I'm just, uh, you know, if you just, if I'm, you know, if I'm walking down the street, you know, eating a sandwich or whatever, and you say, hey, Elric, and, you know, the first thing I see in my head is Sailor on the Seas of Fate, so. You know, that's interesting, because I, I have, like, out of that series, I have, I really have three favorites, Sailor on the Seas of Fate, Weird of the White Wolf, and Stormbringer. Like, those three, I just, I don't know, I've never really been able to say which one of those is this, I love. Is the Stormbringer the one that he's got the sword in front of his face, and he's looking between the, is that... Oh, well, I'm talking about the story. I wasn't really talking about... Oh, I was talking about the... the oh, you're talking about the cover. Okay, yeah. Yeah. all right. Yeah, yeah. That's... that's Depending on what version, I mean, like, I have a hard time... Everyone's style is so different, but but the ones that have are the oldest tend to be the most nostalgic for me. So, you know, I I go crazy over certain pieces uh, just simply because they really uh, had a lasting impression on me, and that's why I'm kind of into art. Is it's all kind of about the nostalgia of of those days we spent just you know skipping school and playing D and D. Yeah, great. Yeah. Those were the days. 
Yeah, you can't even skip school these days. I, I mean, they really, really are uh, on you. Like, I think uh, if you have like five absences, which is a good number, but if you have five absences, you're automatically reported or something like that to like child services. And I don't know, it just seems like a, a bit of a different world these days. Yes, it's definitely a different world these days. Does that mean like, go ahead, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, I probably had on average five absences a month in high school. <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask the opposite, opposite joke, which was going to say, is that, is that like all time, your lifetime? So if you hit five ever in your whole school career, that's what they call child services. Who, what? So instead, of, so instead of missing five in a month, like certain unnamed individuals, what if you all time your entire school career missed around five? Well, that would be awesome, but not not me, buddy. I'm just I'm just telling you right now. Half the time when I was at school, I wasn't at school. No, that's that's a different that's a different thing. I'm just saying. No, I I, I mean I, I yeah I skip school all the time. All the time, but I, I had a I had a I had a teacher who who, uh, who who turned me around probably, and it wasn't until I don't know midway through the tenth grade year, you know, and I still skip school even after that, but I skip maybe less. Skip you felt bad. You felt bad about it. I felt bad about it. Yeah, I felt bad about it. Anyway, lesson learned, kids. Stay in school. Stay in school. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. This is whoa. I went way off. That's a. This is not a good role model story, at all. <laughs> You got to stop me well before we get to this point in these stories, guys. Like this is not this is not good. Spoiler. No, look, I, I, you need to learn something about these podcasts. When when Daniel says he's going to bleep something out or whatever, he doesn't. He's he's saying that, and he's got a smirk on his lip because like sure, gotta, I'll cut that out. You got to understand something, and I'm pretty sure you do understand. I really, I mean, I, my past is my past, and I did what I did, and I don't care, man. I'll I'll talk about it. You know. Yeah, yeah. You just have to know. Uh, it is, you know, that's that's history. That's ancient history, right? That's right. So, All right, Calvin. I have a new objective. Okay. Okay. We need to make a character that's even more annoying to, to Eric. Mm. Something. Something what? even. Incredibly more annoying than just blabbling on forever and you just having to take it and him having to endure it. Well, you you can, I, I got a good idea. Well, and I'm it, certain you guys will do it because I'm going to tell you every time I think that the limit can no longer be reached, <laughs> you, you you push past it. And I mean, you steam through it. So I got I've got the ultimate faith in you. Your defense, well, uh, though, is, I mean, it's sort of uh, like you, you become numb to it. You, you, you like come back and you're like, oh, well, I, I just tuned you out. So well, it's got to be something. It's got to be yeah, something like someone who constantly asks you questions or something. In this specific <laughs> instance, it was doubly bad because I was trying to play like this humble paladin guy, right? That was like. Like he had all this, all this really good information that we really needed in the group, but you talked so much, and he was humble and wouldn't say anything, and and so I was just literally the entire gaming session was me just sitting there, and I finally, and Calvin's like, man, what are you doing? I was like, dude, I just I don't know, I can't, and he's like, you got to get in this. I'm like, I'm I'm in character, and that means that I can't do anything because this is this is I don't even know what's going on here anymore. Anyway, it was funny. It was just it was just one of those circumstances. It was not a, a group with a lot of synergy. No. 
Well, it had <laughs> negative synergy. I would say negative. <laughs> You, you need to make another politician, man. That's that's uh, that. No, that was not annoying. I loved that character. Right, but he can make an annoying politician. Well, he pretty was, easy. He was annoying in that he was thwarting everything that the rest of the group wanted to do. That was annoying. I mean, it was also very fun, right? But you know, right. But the character was great. What I loved most about the character is that he himself could not do anything. He did but, nothing. But he had this bully bodyguard. <laughs> And so the bodyguard was, the, you know, that was that was his threat, right? So he yep. hid behind all that, and that was hilarious. Yeah, that was really funny. So that's that's my my uh, new goal in life is to find a, a a character that is both annoying to Eric and also he can't tune out. If you could, dude, if you could find one that was both annoying and like super, super supportive and like the party just could not do without him. And I had, yeah, that you had to keep me engaged in it. That would, that would, that would be like a really good troll. I know. How about a cleric that just not that kind of cleric? Those are my favorites. I love those kinds of clerics. Especially when they don't tell you that until it's time to be that kind of a cleric. <laughs> well, when you're getting the beat down. Yeah, you know, it's like, hey, we need some heels over here. Oh, I don't, I don't have any of those. <laughs> well, you know, earlier when we said, is anyone playing a cleric? That'd be good information at that point. You know, because that was the, that was the, the implication was, is anybody a healer? I guess yeah. that we should have been more succinct in our wording. I have yeah, that's true. All right. Uh, the last thing on our list, we have one link last on our list, and I want to get to this, otherwise I'll let you all go to bed. But the last thing on our list is uh, over here in the last last tab. Okay. So, um, dreaming at work uh, effects on a person's focus and the imaginative thought process. <clears throat> I'm pretty sure Calvin put that in there. What yeah. at work? What at work? Drinking. I have no idea why this topic is coming up, <laughs> but I will tell you that, that uh, through through personal through through research, um, there there look at look this up. There's a thing called the Balmer Peak, and and it is a real thing. This thing is real. You sh- you should check this out. You should research it. It's real. Yeah, especially you know if you if you want to drink while you're at work to help you reach this Balmer Peak, you need to know what you're looking for, right? Well, I mean the Balmer Peak. Yeah, the Balmer Peak is uh, apparently when Microsoft was writing Windows. It's a joke. Okay, it's a joke. Okay, when Microsoft was writing Windows, uh, they learned that that if they kept the programmers you know BAC level somewhere between you know point zero four and point zero six, their productivity went up by like thirty. Two percent, or some crazy number like that, and then you know everybody in the crowd is like watching this presentation, you know, going, "Ah, oh, wow, ah." And then one of the guys in the question, you know, in the crowd, asked the question, "Well, what happens when you go above that?" And then you know, the Steve Ballmer's response is, "Have you ever heard of Windows ME?" So, <laughs> yeah, that's that's an XKCD number three hundred and twenty-three. There you go, there you go. So there you go, XKCD gets your shout out tonight. That is one of my favorites of all time, right there. That's 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 all I got to say about that. I don't know anything about this subject. Yeah, you know, 
nothing. You know nothing about this. Is it a community endeavor? Do like, do, do you think that it's just one guy sitting in an office, you know, hiding his stuff in a flask and getting a sip, or is it like usually? That, I would be, I, I would be much more concerned about that than I would be, you know, maybe somebody who has has got a desk with a nice, you know, bottle of whiskey sitting there, and, and from time and, to and time, and a nice name plaque that says Eric Morris. Oh, yeah. Or whatever or, or, or whatever but i'm saying and on a friday afternoon you know they have a you know a sip of whiskey and walk outside and smoke a cigar i don't see anything wrong with that at all in fact you know i don't i don't think there'd be anything anything uh suspicious about that you should just you should just you should just accept that and move on <laughs> 